Welcome. Pull up a seat, relax, and pour yourself a drink. You're invited to listen in on Bean and Bowman share life stories and personal perspectives. It is good to see you again, and welcome back to our podcast, Bowman, uh, Bean and Bowman. And it's uh, it's a joy to be uh, be back with you again. Again, we have this just this amazing uh, relationship, father-in-law, son-in-law, um, dear friends, um, study partners, journeyers in life. This is really wonderful to be with you today, Steve. And today, our topic is something um, I'm so interested in. I think uh, anyone listening is going to be, everyone listening, I should say, is just going to enjoy so much. The title is Travel, Odds and Ends, and Humor. Wow, I'm excited to dive into this. Take us there. Travel, Odds and Ends, and Humor. Where do we begin? It's all yours. Well, we can start out with a trip that uh, I took to Alaska. And uh, while in Alaska, we went to Glacier Bay and saw what is referred to as the Mendenhall Glacier. And I think it was originally uh, started as a commercial enterprise by Irving Mendenhall, where he said, you know, it's not just ice, it's a glacier. And uh, no, I went there and it's just it's just ice. Uh, I've seen ice before, but there I am on the ship. I paid ten and a half trillion dollars to see some ice. And they, everybody was looking at it and said, oh, look, the Mendenhall Glacier. So I saw the Mendenhall Glacier. And uh, the Mendenhall family is now uh, living in feudal splendor because they get a royalty for everybody who puts their foot on the Mendenhall Glacier. Uh, not not a dumb group. Well, that's actually, I have never seen a glacier or been on a glacier before. Can you just tell me a little bit about what one sees? Like, what, what actually is a glacier? You said it's all ice. Um, and uh, I mean, are you literally on an iceberg. I have no idea what a glacier looks like. Can you give us a little a couple words description of what you what you saw? No, I'm floating around in Glacier Bay on a boat and hanging over the rail. And I look on the shore and I see a massive slab of ice and uh, it just sits there. It doesn't do anything. It's the Mendenhall Glacier. And then I, everybody on the boat can go back and say, what'd you see? Say, so I saw the Mendenhall Glacier. No kidding. They said, it's, uh, it's unbe- unbelievable. I've heard of it, you know, the Mendenhall Glacier. Um, and and that's, what that, that's what a glacier looks like. Would I take a, you know, a, a thousand mile boat trip to see the Mendenhall Glacier again? <laughs> okay. All right. Carry on. So then um, on we go to Barbados and um, uh, I'm on the beach and um, and I look up and I see the Concord coming in for a landing in Barbados. And I said to myself, someday I'm going to fly on that plane. And um, a few years later, we Kadeen and I did fly on that plane from 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 uh, Detroit to London in about three hours. Um, it was it was uh, it was unbelievable. While we were in Barbados, though, I must admit that uh, we learned all about sugarcane and things that they did they did in Barbados. That was informative, and we um, we went to a place for pizza called O'Brien's, and they um, they'd hold a record in my view 
for the worst pizza that I've ever tasted. Now, I've never tasted bad pizza, but this was a bad pizza. Uh, if you know, if you look at pizzas that come in a box, uh, this one tasted just like the box. So I don't, I don't know where O'Brien got this pizza from, but wherever he got it from, it was the worst pizza I ever tasted in my life. And I remembered that from this point forward. And um, so we went to, um, we went, eventually we went and got uh, uh, the opportunity to fly on, on the Concorde. And we flew at uh, something like 60 or 70,000 feet at twice the speed of sound. We could see, look down and see the curvature of the earth. And we could see uh, the, the, the windows were, were warm because of the friction. And uh, they served us um, uh, wine. Uh, they better at those prices. And they served us wine. And they, uh, the person serving the wine put it down in front of me. And I looked at the wine. And that wine never moved a ripple because there's no, the air is so thin up there. And so we had, uh, we had a wonderful time on the Concorde. And you have to fly it over. You have to fly it over water because it has this, the, the, the sonic boom. So once they get over, once they get over water, uh, then they say, okay, we're ready to start the, the Concorde climb. And they tilt the plane upward and they go up like a rocket. And um, they have to put a heat shield down on the cockpit windows. Otherwise, the windows will get too hot. And it was uh, like an amazing experience. Then they retired the Concorde. But it's something to say that they that had been on the Concorde, and it was uh, like remarkably interesting. So a couple of things. Uh, I, I love your story about O'Brien's um, pizza. And uh, it's interesting. Everyone's always talking about their best meal. You know, you and I were talking, I think it was like a week or two ago about one of the best steak dinners you've ever had. And it was really, it was a beautiful experience to hear you talking about the, the most wonderful steak dinner in a restaurant you've ever had. And you went into great detail. Here you are talking about the worst pizza, <laughs> the worst pizza you've ever had that actually tasted like the box. It's amazing how we uh, we remember these uh, these things that stand out, either if they're the uh, most best or the worst, but it still impacts our memory, doesn't it? Regarding the Concorde, may I ask, how much per ticket? How much did it cost per ticket? Well, we went on the Concorde to go over to London to see the uh, the uh, the tennis tournament uh, at Wimbledon. And they had a special that they were running where you'd get the tickets in the hotel and uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was all in, in one price. It, it came out to somewhere around $15,000. But normally, the Concorde would be very expensive. That's one of the problems they had. And while we were in London, we stayed at a hotel called Claridge, which is uh, a very well-known hotel. And I remember um, we went to breakfast. And after breakfast, Kadeen said she had to go to the bathroom. And I, so I'm standing there alone. And the elevator comes down. And uh, out of it steps Henry Kissinger. So I'm standing there with Henry. And then I look over to the uh, concierge desk, and there's Steve Martin. So I'm looking at Steve Martin, and here and Henry's right next to me. Then Henry leaves, and Steve Martin leaves. Then Kadeen shows up, and I said, "You're not going to believe who I was right. I was talking to right was right next to me here." She said, "Who?" I said, "Henry Kissinger and Steve Martin." She says, nah, "I don't know if I believe that." I said, "Well, I can't recreate that scene, but uh, the moral of the story is don't go to the bathroom at the wrong time." <laughs> excellent excellent okay carry on 
Then we decided we wanted to go to the most exclusive island in the world. And uh, it was pointed out to us that the island that we were talking about was St. Bart's in the French West Indies. Nine square miles, all French, magnificent. Uh, everything about it is first class, food, everything. Saw a lot of famous people. Um, and we stayed and rented uh, Mikhail Breshnikov's house. And uh, that was uh, a million dollar house. It was featured in Architectural Digest. And we went out to dinner one night and because they had some rem remarkable restaurants there. It's a wonderful place. And uh, I, the guy sitting behind me was Ross Perot, uh, the guy who was running for president at the time. So it was uh, it was a remarkable time. We went we went there six times. The the only problem with um, with going to St. Bart's is that their airport is uh, takes about uh, about a year's treatment with blood pressure pills to get you back to normal because the runway is so short they can only land during the day and if they go overshoot the runway you go into the water uh, which has happened a few times not to us but it's uh, it's uh, they use these stole aircrafts uh, short takeoffs and landing. And the first time we went there, the pilot says to me, and there was only one pilot, and he says to me, here, you can sit in the, in the co-pilot seat. So I thought, this, oh my, there's only one pilot. What happens if something happens to the pilot? So I'm watching every move the guy makes, and then he comes over this mountain, and he drops down like a rock, and then he finally hits the ground, and we figured, well, uh, we're here. And um, so we stayed in, uh, in various, various places uh, in, on the island. Um, including you know, Barishnikov's house twice. And uh, it was, that was a magnificent facility. As I said, it was featured in Architectural Digest. And uh, everybody knows who Mikhail Barishnikov was. And while we were there, the phone rang and I answered the phone and it was none other than uh, Billy Joel. And uh, Billy Joel said, uh, you know, who's this? I said, well, you know, who's this? And he tells me and he says, I'm trying to, to lease the place now for the week. And I said, um, sorry, uh, sorry, I, I'm, 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 I'm leasing it for the week. So you'll have to call back another time, but uh, certainly interesting talking to you. So that was, that was, uh, that was our wonderful times on St. Bart's. And uh, it was just uh, a pleasure to be there. And uh, David Letterman has a house there. A lot of well-known people have houses there. And it's just, um, it's the most exclusive island in the world. Then I'm sitting by the pool and, um, and uh, Elliot Gould was sitting there by the pool who happened to be the first husband of Barbara Streisand. And uh, I talked to him for a while. And then there was another guy at the pool who looked like he had about all the money in the world. And he says, you know, I've got to tell you something. He says, I can afford to go anywhere and I've been everywhere. And I've never been any place in the world greater than St. Bart's in the French West Indies. This is the finest place I've ever been. And I what, tried to find other places that were just as good or better, but you can't do it. So my advice to you is don't leave here. Keep coming back. And we did. So you had, but you can't get there that easy. You have to fly to Miami, stay overnight. And when you stay overnight, then you have to get on the regular jet and, uh, and, 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 and fly into St. Martin, which is a French and Dutch island. And then you take a little airplane and you go over there. So by the time you get there, you're exhausted. You don't know what time of day it is. You're completely beat. But you finally, finally recover, and the next thing you know, uh, you're glad you're there. And then the next thing you know, it's time to come back. So that was that was um, 
St. Bart's in the French West Indies. We had a, a glorious time there. Sounds beautiful. I know that um, you brought back um, T-shirts for your uh, your children and grandchildren. And I had a shirt. I remember it said St. Bart's West Indies. And I know that it has uh, quite a reputation, uh, even if people have not been there. And I imagine most people have not actually been to uh, St. Bart's, but they've heard of St. Bart's. And it has a reputation of being a very exclusive place. And so just have just wearing the T-shirt, I felt uh, uh, privileged. It was really quite amazing. What kind of food would you have there? Do they have fresh? Uh, you always hear about the, the fish, for example, and the fruit and things like that in the Caribbean. Did you have a chance to taste some of the local uh, local fare? All of it. Actually, they have they have excellent fish. They have um, they have uh, swordfish. They have um, salmon. They have mahi mahi. They have French food. Uh, the chefs are the finest in the world, and it uh, was just uh, remarkable. Uh, the lobster, and I don't want to leave out uh, not la- last but not least the topless beaches. So I would uh, I uh, thoroughly enjoyed the beach at Flamans, and I would sit there and I would pretend like I was taking pictures of Kadeen and I would just snap. I said, go move over here a little further to the right, a little further to the right. And I would snap, snap, snap. And she says, I know what you're doing. So I said, uh, no, I'm learning how to be a photographer. You got to have all kinds of experiences. Fantastic. Okay. What's next? Then we off, we went off, we went to Rome and we uh, went to the Roman Colosseum. Did you know that 400,000 gladiators died there? Yeah, they had a strange habit of knocking people off for their pleasure. and But it's true, 400,000. And then we toured the Roman Colosseum and the underground caves. And uh, they had a strange form of, uh, of uh, entertainment. And uh, But it's, it's two-thirds there. It's still there. And um, we, um, we took a cruise uh, that left from Barcelona. Uh, which was an interesting town uh, if you happen to like pickpockets because they're all over the place. Uh, you could learn a great deal of pickpocketing techniques there. And uh, so we went to Barcelona and we got on this beautiful boat and we went all the way down below Sicily, all the way up the coast of Italy and visited every place possible, uh, and uh, including the, uh, the uh, Sistine Chapel in Rome uh, that Michelangelo did. And uh, Michelangelo was um, Michelangelo was an interesting guy. Um, I, I never met him because he uh, lived from 1508 to 1512, uh, so he would have been fairly old. Um, but the thing that's, uh, that he did was he painted uh, 343 figures in the Sistine Chapel, and the um, it took him five years. So I'm thinking to myself. Michael, use a roller. You could get it done in a day and a half. You wouldn't have to spend five years uh, uh, painting these people. And then they said, please don't take pictures with a flashbulb of the Sistine Chapel. So I tell, I, I, I turned my camera off and I handed it to Kadeen, I think, and she somehow or other turned it on. Next thing you know, she took a picture and about 18 old ladies came after me with their umbrellas. Uh, this was not a good scene. I was the only one standing there. That had the, that that supposedly 
took a picture of the Sistine Chapel. So uh, Sistine Chapel, Rome, Europe. I mean, I'm thinking of all the art, uh, which you touched on the fact that you, uh, as you say, you didn't have a chance to meet uh, Michelangelo, but no. uh, you certainly got to meet him, however, through his art and creativity. And I, I would imagine that you saw a lot of beautiful art, be they paintings, sculpture, architecture. Um, you know, again, it, it's it's a... It, it's a different world, isn't it, than than coming from uh, the Midwest, coming from the United States, um, where there is art. You can go to a gallery, absolutely. Um, I was recently at the art gallery in Detroit, actually, for a fantastic uh, uh, exhibition of uh, Van Gogh uh, art. But you literally are walking through Rome. You're walking through, as you say, Barcelona. You're walking through um, Rome, you know, all these places, and you're surrounded by art and architecture how does how does how do you feel about that when you when you see all this and you're bathed in it well the, you know there's a difference in history between uh, europe and here this this country is only so old whereas uh things that are a couple hundred years old in uh, in asia or europe are commonplace they're not even worth collecting um yeah i you know i i've been to these places and and the stuff is really is really uh, really very old the um the, um, then, then we went, I must skip on to uh, Colorado, and we went to Aspen uh, two or three times. And um, I remember Aspen because I had the largest headache I've ever had in my life, combining uh, um, wine with uh, 10,000 feet of altitude. So that's enough to knock you nuts. It's insane over there. But the, but the, um, the restaurants are excellent. The people that you see are remarkable. The uh, there's a lot of very wealthy people that have very big homes there. Uh, John Denver had a house there, and Aspen's got very good, interesting shopping. And we stayed at uh, a number of uh, interesting hotels. And um, uh, we never were there in the winter because I've never skied before, and I didn't feel like learning, um, other than water skiing. But uh, we did go to Aspen and. Um, Flying into Aspen is another unique experience because you got to fly in over the mountains and then drop down and just uh, an another type of flying experience. It's quite a thing, but uh, Aspen is worth going to. I understand. I understand that uh, there's also, as you mentioned, there's some celebrities in Aspen. You always hear about you know, the uh, the famous people, the movie stars, and politicians, and so on. Um, did you run into anybody of note when you were uh, in Aspen? Anybody uh, that you uh, that we would know? Yes, Wolf Blitzer. We ran into the Wolf Man, and um, we saw him a couple times. He was staying at the same hotel, and we saw him at dinner as well. And uh, then Kadeen went went to get in the elevator, and he was the only one in there. So she rode up to our room, uh, just her and Wolf. So I said, "Did you say anything to Wolf?" She said, "No." And um, so we did run into Wolf Blitzer, and uh, but I think most of the real celebrities go there in the wintertime to ski. Great. Okay. Well, then we went to California uh, a number of times, and we wanted to stay in all the world best known hotels. So we stayed at the Beverly Hills Hotel. We stayed at the Bel Air Hotel. We stayed at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. And um, we had some interesting experiences there when we got to the Beverly Hills Hotel. They said they were giving us a special cottage instead of the one of the rooms. I don't know why that happened to me. 
And they said this was the special cottage that Marilyn Monroe occupied. So we had our own cottage on the adjacent grounds. And we, we, we saw, you know, a, a different view of things rather than stay in the hotel. Um, and had an interesting experience at the, at the, at the Beverly Wilshire hotel. I was staying, we were staying at the Beverly Wilshire hotel and I was sitting on the, on the deck and the guy sitting next to me getting a suntan was Larry King. So I didn't say anything to Larry. Larry didn't say anything to me. And then I went into the, uh, into the workout room and I was the only one in there on the treadmill and I was watching TV and we had been to the, uh, OJ site that day. And I knew they filmed us, but I didn't know it was going to be on television. And, and, and the door opened and in walks Mary Tyler Moore and her husband, uh, Dr. Levine. And uh, they were busy fighting with one another, so they didn't pay much attention to me. And uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, she picks up the flicker for the TV and says, Can, and, I, and, 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 and I was on it uh, because they were showing me filmed that day at the Bundy condo. Okay, and uh, she didn't even look at me and tie the two of us together. So I went over to the phone and I said, uh, called up the room and I said to Kadena, you won't believe who I'm standing next to on the uh, on the treadmill. It's Mary Tyler Moore. It's unbelievable. Uh, She didn't recognize me and I didn't recognize her. But uh, that that was, in fact, what was happening. And I I never did say anything to uh, Larry King. Uh, And we stayed at. uh, we stayed in all the all the nice hotels, and they were beautiful, and uh, the weather was good, and we did everything you're supposed to do in, in California. I just, I, I, I love, love, love this story. It is, it, it's so visual, and you, you really give it over so well. Just want to kind of drill a little deeper into that story. You went when you were in. Were you staying at the Beverly Hills Hotel or the uh, uh, the Beverly Wilshire? Wilshire? The Beverly Wilshire. Beverly Wilshire. So you think the Beverly Wilshire, and you and. Kadeen, who I should mention is your wife and my mother-in-law, and you went to the OJ site, meaning that is the site where the wife of OJ Simpson was murdered. And that site was, was that a, I'm assuming that was a closed, secured police uh, site, and you went there, and I guess they must have been, what, filming that day? You were caught on film, I guess, because you were there visiting the site. And then later on, you're in the workout room. Mary Tyler Moore walks in, looks at the TV and watches what's going on. You're on TV and you're in the workout room with Mary Tyler Moore. The whole thing is just visually, it's it's one of the great stories of all time. I end up in those types of places. I don't know why, but I do. And I'm going to cu- I'm going to get to that whole experience with the OJ trial uh, shortly. Then we uh, our travels took us off to La Canada. Uh, and Montreal. And um, I got a chance. I'm not sure I got this chance, but I got a chance to go into the Montreal Canadiens dressing room. And so I walked around and saw the people that I'd seen play. And uh, then we uh, we toured uh, Montreal. And um, but the dressing room was the highlight of, uh, of that trip for me. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, absolutely, uh, you know, we we affectionately call the uh, the Montreal Canadiens. We always called them the Habs, which is short form for habitat, which is a French word for uh, the people who settled uh, Quebec. And they were always considered to be always, you know, obviously I'm from Toronto originally, and the great rivals to the Toronto Maple Leafs, but nothing compared to the Montreal Canadiens. The fact that you were in their 
chain dressing room and the fact that you were in the stadium is is really like going to the uh to a very <laughs> a very special and very sacred space so that's but anybody who appreciates hockey or sports uh, has got to salute you for doing that. That's amazing. Well, then we went off to the island of St. Martin, which is French and Dutch. And we were having lunch in a nice restaurant. And I look over to the right and a couple tables from us is Gene Wilder. And I've always been a big fan of Gene Wilder. He had about 14 glasses of wine by the time I saw him. And he walked out with a wine bottle. And, um, and I asked the waiter, I said, is that Gene Wilder? And he, the waiter said, yes, that's Gene Wilder. And, uh, it was like very interesting to watch because he was married to Gilda Radner and, uh, Gilda Radner grew up not that far from me in the Detroit area. And, um, so that, that was interesting in, uh, in St. Martin. Then I went to Jerusalem, Jerusalem and the rest of Israel saw Jerusalem, Tel Aviv and Caesarea, Caesarea, whatever. I like that because uh, it was, you know, old school stuff. And we had the best uh, tour guide ever, uh, your wife, my daughter. And I uh, collected some things that floated up on shore in Caesarea or Caesarea. And uh, they were they were like drinking utensils. But nobody got excited about it except me because they float up all the time from the Romans. And uh, this there, there's a coffee cup without the handle. And here's the handle without the cup. And uh, the, uh, Israel was, uh, was uh, very fascinating to me because the history and, uh, and everything that we saw there. And uh, uh, even though I've been there two or three times, uh, you, you really, it takes more time to see, to see Israel uh, the way you should see it. And then we went, of course, to the Dead Sea uh, and uh, with, with you and uh, floated on my back there in the Dead Sea. Couldn't get up because of salt. And um, that I figured out that um, one of the hardest things about floating in the Dead Sea is getting up because it doesn't let, it doesn't let you get up. And then, the, then, of course, your skin itches for the next 24 years because of the salt. But no doubt you're familiar with that. Absolutely. The, the, yeah, the, that, that's always tricky. There's a, there is a way. I'm not sure I, I have. I'm not sure I have mastered it exactly, but there is a way of getting up from the Dead Sea so that you don't get salt in your eyes and you don't do any more damage than necessary. It's supposed to be therapeutic. Actually, people actually come away, many people come away feeling that they have uh, had some kind of a medicinal healing experience. Um, but some other people feel strange afterwards. As, so that's definitely fair enough. Caesarea is very interesting uh, because of course it's a 2000 year old Roman city um, in Israel. And all the archaeology you were talking about, yeah, it's just it's. It, I remember that very well. It's there on the beach. But tell me, there is there is something you've left out, and you can fill in the blanks. I believe you and your grandson, that is my son Yoav, took off, and next thing you know, we kind of found you in a wine bar, in Caesarea, enjoying. I can't remember what it was. Enjoying a nice bottle of wine together. Do you remember that? Yes, because uh, Yoav is a wine um, uh, expert. He likes a, a good uh, winage. And so we were doing that. And um, I think that the, um, the I think that the, the one of the things I did, too, as soon as I got to a telephone was call my dermatologist and tell him I needed an immediate appointment uh, because the salt was killing me and uh, throwing off my electrolytes. It was a whole experience there. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it was the lowest place on Earth. 
Uh, I think the Dead Sea is the lowest place on Earth. Right, right. Dead Sea is, uh, is uh, Dead Sea is definitely the lowest place on Earth, and uh, I'm yeah. glad that you, I'm glad you got your dermatologist. And I think you got to see a lot of stuff. You've see, you've been to Israel several times, and it's always a great time. And uh, I'm glad we got to see. We covered we covered a lot of Jerusalem and Caesarea and Dead Sea. You've seen a lot of the country. Yeah, and uh, I, nothing I like more than an 11, 11 hour flight. Um, I can't tell you how much I enjoy 11-hour flights. Uh, I have no feeling from my waist down when I uh, when I get up. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, 11 hours. I got to speed those planes up or something or move Israel closer to here. Back to Detroit. And uh, I mentioned this prior on prior broadcast. I had a meeting with uh, Jack Ruby's brother. And uh, his name was Earl. And Jack Ruby's the guy that shot Oswald. And, uh, and Earl owned a dry cleaning plant, and we were in that business at the time. And he called me up and said, uh, come on over. I need to buy a press from you to press some clothes. So I go over. There I am sitting with Earl Ruby. And Earl Ruby says to me in the middle, I've mentioned this before, he was talking about the press. Then he sort of spaced out and said, I got to get that gun. So I said, what gun are you talking about, Earl? He says, the gun my brother shot Oswald with. I said, why do you have to get the gun? And he said, because I was offered 250000 for it, and I have to pay all the expenses on my brother. So I went through that with him, and then he sort of like got back to reality. But I, as I mentioned before, I could have asked him anything I wanted to know about the, that he knew, and he might have told me. So I missed my opportunity uh, to uh, be the most famous person in the world for 10 minutes. But nonetheless, uh, that was my uh, meeting with Earl. Now we can get on to, um, to the OJ thing. When O.J. Simpson, when O.J. Simpson got all involved with this shooting and we watched the, the white Ford Bronco, my wife got enamored with the entire thing. She watched every episode of every broadcast and saw everything possible. So I said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll go to California to the crime scene and we will see everything that you see on TV. And so we got on an airplane. And we went to the O.J. Simpson house. And there I was standing outside the O.J. Simpson house. And uh, the, the maid came over the intercom and said, what can I do for you? And uh, I said, I'm just here to, to take a look and so on. She said, well, the gate's locked. You can't you can't come in. And um, if you, I don't know whether you remember or not, but um, one of the witnesses that they called was a guy by the name of Pablo Fengis. Pablo Fengis was a screenwriter and he was walking his dog in the area at the time. And Pablo Fengis was well known on TV and Kadeen knew his name and knew what he looked like. And uh, he was walking his dog and the dog, according to Pablo Fengis, let out a, a sound that he referred to as a plaintive wail when he got near the crime scene. So we were, Kadeen and I were walking down the street and we run into Pablo Fengis. And there's Pablo Fengis and me and Kadeen. Pablo Fengis wanted nothing to do with us. And he took off walking and Kadeen took off chasing him. I've never seen her be overtly that aggressive before. I said, you can't chase him down the street. Well, she did. And uh, she chased him down the street. And uh, so we went over and uh, we saw virtually everything. We saw, we saw um, a Goldman's house. Uh, we were able to walk past Goldman's house. We saw the crime scene. Uh, Kadeen walked up to the to the uh, fence and looked inside and she was on film as well. And then uh, I said to 
the cameraman, uh, how can I get a, uh, a video of this, uh, of us being filmed? And he said, uh, go over to CNN, uh, tell him, tell him what you want. So I went over to CNN and I said, uh, I would like to get, I was at the crime scene the other day and I would like to get a, um, uh, a video of the, of the event. And the guy over there said, oh, Mr. Bean, step right into this private viewing room. We have some, we're prepared for you. We're prepared for you. I don't know who they thought I was unless they thought it was Mr. Bean, the comedian. And the next thing I know, Mr. Bean, what can we do for you? I said, I would like a video of, of, uh, of us walking up to the crime scene, myself and my wife at separate times. And it, it, was, a, it was a fiasco there. And uh, so they gave us a video and they said, OK, here, I hope you enjoy it. And they gave me a discount on the price. And I have that video today. So the next time you come to Detroit, I'll be happy to show you the video of us at the at the crime scene and we saw every everything possible we even went to the restaurant that uh, the um, uh, the lady who was killed mother left her glasses because she hadn't left her glasses there the woman wouldn't have probably been killed so we went to the restaurant Metzaluna and while we're sitting in Metzaluna I don't know why I attract these people but I do we're sitting in the back and the manager the manager of Metzaluna comes over and he asks me how are you doing is everything all right are you enjoying yourself? Uh, I just want to make sure you were happy. So I said, yep, never been happier. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And, and I, don't, I don't know who he thought I was, but uh, it seems to be a recurring occurrence with me. That wherever I go, people walk up to me and say something uh, that they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't say to me if it wasn't me. And uh, I, so I said to Kadeen, why does this happen so often? And she said, you got that look on your face. Like you're you're approachable. I remember when we we were checking into the to the King David Hotel. I go over to check in. He said, "Oh, I said I'm my name is Bean. I'm here to to check in." Uh, said, "Okay, oh, you've been upgraded, Mister Bean. Um, you have one of the palatial suites where the presidents stay with the guard outside, and with the view of the old town." I said, um, "By that time, we're starting to get my get." I was getting curious. I said, uh, why, why do you, th I didn't, I don't want to screw it up. I said, why do you think they gave me that? Oh, he said, it's very simple. They obviously knew who you were. I said, that makes sense. I get that all the time. That's very nice. Show me to my room. And so there we were uh, in, 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 in that. And we saw everything associated with the, with the OJ trial. And uh, we, there was nothing left out that we didn't see. Um, we were experts on the OJ trial and um, was our experience. We uh, and Kadeen could not get enough of that whole event. It was it was captivating. The whole thing was captivating. And um, how he got acquitted is anybody's guess. But um, he was uh, it was something it was it, it made it, it made history. It was uh, the verdict was one of the most watch, watched watched. Uh, uh, TV program in history. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it's 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 a it's, it's a unbelievable story. But yeah, of course, it is believable. It happened to you, and the, every part of it. I think that when I'm hearing about Kadeen's, um what's the word I want to use? Fatuation, passion, in, infatuation uh, is good. Infatuation <laughs> uh, with the whole thing. The fact that she goes and runs after Pablo Fenges and. I, I mean, she obviously wanted to not just observe uh, this incredible uh, story in history, but literally be as close to it as possible. The fact that you went to the crime scene and saw everything that was going on, absolutely incredible. 
my question is, is that since you saw it, you saw the house, you saw everything related to the story, how did, how did seeing there, how did being there, um, how was it different than say most people watched it on TV, right? Most people watched it on a screen, two dimensional with borders, right? There's borders around the TV. You don't get to see anything past the borders. You were able to literally turn around, see everything in 360 degree real time. Your perspective was there on the ground. How do you feel that was different than say somebody who would, would just have followed the entire case on television? I thought it was it, it always appeared uh, larger on television than it did in person. It was similar to when we went to Dallas to the Kennedy assassination scene. Uh, the uh, the the grassy knoll in the Texas School Book Depository on TV looked like a long distance. It wasn't. It was a very short distance, and it w- it was different. It way different in person. Um, but that 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 was my perception of um, of the of the whole chain of events so there was no, nothing we really didn't see um we we saw everything i think relevant to the trial and all the all the publicity and uh and and every and we even saw when the jurors were taken on a bus out to see the crime scene we saw the bus uh we were standing there on the street and here comes the bus uh with the jurors uh so it, it's it's usually uh in my experience from traveling around, the things you see on TV are a little bit, they appear to be larger uh, than they really are in person. Um, that's very interesting. Hopefully, that's, that's hopefully very interesting. that answers your question. Then we, you. um, then we went to Graceland. Got to go to Graceland. I recommend everybody go to Graceland. We were, we were in Graceland. We, we went through the house. We, we saw everything you could see in the lower level because you weren't allowed to go upstairs. Um, but we did see Graceland. And uh, if, if there's one place I would go back to would be Elvis's house. And we saw Elvis's grave and uh, we saw everything associated with uh, with Elvis, uh, actually, and uh, his cars and all, all the things that he did. He was, you know, he was. A rem- and we even got on the on the plane, his jet called Lisa Marie, which he named after his recently uh, deceased uh, daughter, actually. And uh, we went through the whole plane saw his little conference room where we'd have his meetings. And uh, so we, we did see that. And then we went over to the Lorraine Motel. The Lorraine Motel became famous because Martin Luther King was there when he was shot. And it's an exact replica of what it was before. They didn't change anything. The motel is there. The cars parked in front were of the, of the vintage year when he was shot. And so we saw the Lorraine Motel. And we saw the uh, we saw Elvis's house in great in great detail. And as I said, I, if I had it to do over again, I, I would go to travel anywhere. I would uh, I, I would go back and and look at Elvis's house again because it was remarkable, and um, it was um, everything everything you expected it to be actually in terms of um, you know what he was really like. Um, and um, if you ever get a chance to go to Memphis. And you said you had mentioned that you might get that opportunity. I highly recommend it. Yes, uh, going to Memphis is something uh, that I definitely want to be doing, and hopefully, I have the chance to do that uh, soon. And uh, and I'd, I'd really, I will, I will want to go to Graceland. How, a couple of questions on the Lorraine, the Lorraine Hotel, Motel. 
does that mean that it is not you can you rent rooms there or is it a kind of like a timepiece time a place stuck in time i don't know i don't know whether it's a functioning motel or not it looked it could have been just a fa- the facade but they got the but they have the entire they preserved the entire balcony where he was standing uh his room and so on and it it, it might have it, it might be the lorraine motel but not open to the public you just stand outside so you have for example the automobiles from that time period are in other words that's the same the cars from the 1960s are going to be in the parking lot yeah yeah that's what he saw and what else can you see when you go to the, when you go there what can you as a visitor can you actually go through the room can you go up to the balcony can you what can you no. actually do okay no i don't think you can go anywhere you can just stand down there and look i look at the cars and look at the at the mm-hmm. lorraine and, and you can just envision what the scenario was and um at the time that he was shot so that must be an important um pilgrimage site in a sense a place to visit for yeah. for americans yeah yeah amazing amazing well, yeah, a lot, a lot of people. Uh, and then we went off on our travels to Mexico. Uh, always liked Mexico. Uh, went down originally for the Keopectate Festival. Actually, that's not true. I, I never, I, I, we didn't go to the Keopectate. They don't have a Keopectate Festival. But I thought I would throw that in. Um, we went to Mexico, Acapulco, and Cabo San Lucas. And turns out that Cabo San Lucas is where OJ used to go with his then wife. And we stayed in, we stayed in the, uh, some very nice hotels in Acapulco, uh, one of which was uh, Las Prisas. That's the place with uh, with the uh, pink jeeps. And uh, we had a very nice time. Now you don't want to go to Acapulco because you could get kidnapped. And uh, But Acapulco was magnificent. And I actually water skied in Acapulco Bay. And then I woke up one day afterward thinking maybe I would, they were just trolling with me for with sharks swimming around because there's a lot of them there. I wouldn't do that again. I didn't know what I was thinking at the time, probably not too deeply. Um, that 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 was amazing. And um, then we haven't gone anywhere uh, for a while. And um, but I wanted to uh, sort of uh, I, I, as I, tr- I tend to do, I tend to end uh, our uh, broadcast with what I consider to be one of the funniest jokes of all time. I, uh, I always say that because I always thought the previous one was one of the funniest jokes of all time. I can't help it. It's part of me. It's got a hold on me. And okay. uh, the, the scenario is this, that uh, Mrs. Plotnick is in the beauty shop with a friend of hers getting in. They're sitting under the dryers, getting their hair done. And her friend says to her, oh, Mrs. Plotnick, I can't get over the diamond you have on your hand. This is the biggest diamond I've ever seen. She says, oh, yes, this is 40 carats. This is a 40-carat diamond. It's called the Plotnik diamond. This is it. Elizabeth Taylor didn't have a diamond like this. This is the Plotnik diamond. Um, there is only one thing with the, wrong with the Plotnik diamond. She says, oh, Mrs. Plotnik, what is that? What could that be? And she says, it comes with a curse. And the lady said, what kind of curse? He says, Mr. Plotnik. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well told. Wow, wow. Yeah, it's all wow. In, it's all it's all it's all in a delivery. Uh good joke, <laughs> bad delivery, bad joke. Uh, bad joke, good delivery. Um I don't know if I told this one or, or not. Very, very I, it's nice. worth telling again. I 
I went on a business trip lately and I checked into the hotel and next to the table, next to the bed on the table was a Bible. I opened up the Bible. There was a note inside. It says, if you're an alcoholic or suspected you have a drinking problem, call this number. I called the number. It was a liquor store. <laughs> oh, great joke again. Great delivery. Wonderful. It's Wonderful. all in the del- it's all in the delivery. Um, um, there's no question about it. In your in your in your travels, did you meet people that you could exchange stories and jokes with? Oh yes, all all the time. Um, it, it depends on it depends on whether they or not they have what is referred to as a sense of humor. In other words, I have an accountant that has no sense of humor, none. You could tell him anything; he just says "and." I said, you know what? Do me a favor. Next time I do any stand up or whatever, don't come. Um, he's he says, I, "Was that a joke?" I said, "Stick to the numbers." There you go. Stick there to the go. numbers. Just stick to the numbers. You, I, I just don't. You, you. It's not that funny. I get it. I get it. 